Hello guys, welcome back to Ragnarsson Invest Podcast. Uh, our today's guest is Jérôme Cochet from um, Good Carbon. Welcome to our studio. Our today's topic is obviously carbon credits, but before we go into that, I would love to hear your story. How did you end up in a space of carbon credits? Yeah, thanks first of all for having me. It's a pleasure to uh, speak to you and to speak about Good Carbon today. So the really ignition for Good Carbon came from a vacation. Uh, essentially where I did where, where I went to uh, Costa Rica a couple of years ago and there is this wonderful island which is called Osa Peninsula which is um, an area which is partly protected but partly not and you know we spent time with the family in a hotel really in the, in the forest right in the rainforest and uh, it's partly a rainforest of second generation so one which has already been rebuilt in the past and where you now find you know different species again where you have the forest itself where you have uh, people profiting in terms of social income or in terms of income from the economy which uh, and tourism which has evolved around the second generation forest uh, but then you also have first generation forest which is partly there and uh, it was a hotel really in the middle of nowhere you had to go by by jeep and um, it was exciting in the first place and Uh, then we met this lady, this hotel owner, who built that space or that place probably some 20 years ago. And uh, she's American and she has been um, yeah, really a supporter of the region. And she set up a foundation to make sure that the forests, which are in private ownership uh, mostly, that they remain protected and that they remain in place, right? And uh, we found that so inspiring, right? And this lady, you know, building her own house within this uh, hotel space or this uh, apartment or uh, yeah, apartment space, and she was overlooking those forests. And she, she told us a story that she built a foundation and founded this foundation to raise capital to buy the land from... Uh, the private owners to protect it. Yeah? And you have to know that in the region you have also deforestation, uh, which is driven by different you know, interests of uh, landowners uh, for alternative use of the land. And you know, she had such a hard time to raising those $7 million. I think she was after a couple of years only at uh, you know, roughly a million that you know, we uh, thinking about also our business model, we said, hey, how can we help those people which have an interest in protecting land to raise those 7 million euros or dollars to protect the land, right? And to make sure it doesn't get deforested, to make sure that there is no loss of nature and loss of biodiversity, and how to make sure that the people on the ground which are living there still benefit from the economy which is around tourism, right? And that's really uh, the almost the uh, ignition, right, also for good carbon, making sure that anyone anywhere in the world can protect and also restore land, nature, biodiversity, and with that related social income. And uh, how can we essentially help democratize that trend, right, by leveraging a market which is uh, enabling that, which is the voluntary carbon market, which for the first time, Uh, you can save nature, you can restore nature uh, while still earning money, right? And in previous times, you couldn't. And so that's really the, the founding idea for, for Good Carbon, where we said we want to, as a purpose, restore our precious ecosystems uh, and we want to shift as much capital as possible into restoring those uh, ecosystems. And 
enable those people who are looking not only for 7 million, but also for 70 million, or those who are looking for 700 million, uh, to essentially fund large-scale nature restoration projects, which, um, yeah, give a an attractive return also for private capital. And uh, since uh, founding the company in uh, June uh, last year, so June 2021, we uh, follow this vision and, you know, this uh, purpose to really make sure that we can restore, help people restore nature, uh, have an impact on climate by uh, sequestering carbon and also uh, provide a social income or an income to, to local popu uh, populations and local local communities. Yeah, So uh, that's maybe more as a background and to bring it to life, right, um, uh, how we think about restoring nature. But at the time when you, when you saw this problem of this lady of raising money, did you already have the idea of um, entering this kind of a business and it kind of made, made it clear to you how to start or it was more of an ignition to even start thinking about building such a solution? Well, I think it was more to really how to fine-tune it. So we had thoughts around that direction uh, already before. My co-founder David is part of the, or has helped to set up the Oceans 2050 Foundation from Alexander Cousteau in uh, Germany, which is really around restoring abundance in the ocean, the other big, big ecosystem of the world covering 70% of uh, our surface. And uh, there has been scientific uh, research around blue carbon, so how to store um, CO2 in the oceans. And so there were already thoughts in this direction and uh, the business model, but really this idea of, you know, in democratizing restoring nature, yeah? enabling anyone anywhere through a platform to raise capital uh, to to get the project going, right? And to get the project off the ground. And in the case of Costa Rica, it was, it was about purchasing land uh, to uh, preserve it. In other cases, it's about buying small trees to plant them, right? And to build an ecosystem again. Yeah? So it was more fine-tuning of how we think about uh, that platform. The idea was already there in parts before through the work of David uh, in the Oceans 2050 Foundation. Okay, so how does it work in practice? You took uh, some uh, solutions that already existed, put a twist, as you said yourself. So uh, what's the twist? What's the secret sauce? Yeah, so what we do with Good Carbon, we um, offer nature as a service. And what we mean by that is we want to enable companies to really take long-term climate action. And we have built a uh, technical platform, a Web3-based platform, which connects project owners on the one hand to companies on the other hand. And project owners, such as the lady in, uh, which was at the time not a project owner, but wanted to become one, uh, to enable those project owners to tap into funding to get those nature-based solution projects, as we call them, off the ground. And companies, on the other hand, uh, can benefit from taking long-term climate action through the purchase of carbon uh, compensation certificates, yeah, carbon offsets also uh, described. And we enable them to directly make business with each other. We take out the middleman, which is typically called the broker in the market and which today takes uh, quite, quite a big margin. And the platform is unique in three sense, uh, three ways. Number one, we are good carbon and not just any carbon. So we only bring proje projects onto the platform which are of highest quality and very happy to uh, to talk about that in more detail. Uh, number two, we focus on the future. 
So we want companies to really take long-term climate action, and we want project owners to fund the fuel, also to, to you know to, to to get projects into the world to restore nature in, in the in the future. Um, and last, we um, enable companies to really get active into a, a very a compliant setting. Yeah? So you can, as a company, purchase carbon credits on our platform, which will only you know sequester carbon in the future in one year or in 20 years. Um, but where the carbon credits are delivered as a financial product uh, under German financial regulation. Yeah? So it's a fully compliant product which you can put on your balance sheet without any headaches almost. And uh, yeah, therefore we tend to say carbon credits made in, made in Germany. <laughs> I can imagine Germans like that, uh, like that term. Uh, before go, we go into the, the quality, I'm just curious, uh, has this uh, Costa Rica lady raised her 7 million finally? Well, n not yet. And, um, you know, uh, I um, said over the weekend, uh, we, we need to accelerate that, right? Now that the pr platform is live and that we have uh, laid the foundation over the last 12 months to uh, enable a project financing of that sort. And we will get back to her. Um, we'll get back to her. I will get back to her and see uh, that we can accelerate the funding a bit. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. That would be a great uh, end to inspiring story. You already mentioned so many things I'm curious about. And the first one, and uh, this is also what we discussed uh, before the recording, but the quality question is always like the main one. So, yeah, we are super curious to know how do you uh, ensure that the quality is the highest and that it meets the expectations of, of the buyers. Yeah, the quality is indeed um, of paramount uh, importance and we can gladly, I have to say, see it also in the discussions which we're having with corporates and uh, companies in, in general, uh, also smaller ones uh, in, in Europe at the moment. Yeah? Because quality has been uh, a topic, especially in the field of nature-based solutions. Um, you know, this voluntary carbon market is one which emerged over the, you know, recent years and uh, was a bit like, um, you know, uh, go, like the gold miners in the beginning. Yeah? So you could make fast money, but not, not pay attention to integrity necessarily. So uh, I'm glad that it's on the radar and that also, you know, the regulation in, in Europe uh, at least um, is driving a trend towards even more quality, right? Through the European taxonomy, for example, which requires transparency from companies what they do on the on the climate uh, on their climate agenda. And what we do essentially, we uh, especially in the space of nature-based solutions, we um, do three things in parallel. Number one, we make sure we play with the rules of the market. Excuse me. <coughs> excuse me, um, that we play with the rules of the market, meaning the projects on our platform are always validated by one of the leading uh, standards, so be it Vera, Gold Standard or Plan Vivo, and that ensures a certain base integrity and base, uh, you know, following the methodology. Number two, we uh, curate those projects on top. We look at uh, risk, we look at integrity, and we look at impact. And across those three dimensions, um, we especially, let me start maybe with the, with the last one, since we want to uh, make sure that high-impact projects, which always have an impact on climate, 
on nature and on social come to life. Yeah, what that means very pragmatically is that uh, next to evaluating the impact on carbon sequestration, which the standards do, we always look also on biodiversity impact and uh, on income for local uh, communities. And uh, the reason we do so on the impact space is especially on uh, also income for local communities. This is the best guarantee that those projects will be permanent for the next 30, 50, 100 years, right? Why is that? Because if the local community, and we're talking about countries in the global south mostly, right? So in Panama, in India, in uh, Costa Rica, um, local communities need an income, right? And uh, the alternative for having uh, to benefit from growing nature would be to, you know, have a cattle, yeah, uh, to essentially use the land to feed your your, your animals, which you're then uh, obviously making meat of and, and selling. Yeah? So the trend towards deforestation is one which you can only turn around if you offer an alternative source of um, income for, for local communities. Yeah? So that's really on the impact side. On the risk side, we look at permanence, we look at the baseline. Yeah, uh, So carbon credits are only issued for projects which are additional, additional sequestration of CO2. So the baseline matters a lot. We're looking at um, uh, who owns the land, right? Um, what are the motivations, uh, which also gives a good indication towards permanence and eventually also on integrity, which is the third dimension. Uh, give you an example, it doesn't help if you are growing a forest and if you're taking then the forest, which is next door down, right, by uh, essentially harvesting it. So it's known under leakage. Yeah? So we make sure that those projects are of high highest integrity. And in total, it's very hard to explain on the podcast, but in total, we are looking at 170 criteria. And uh, what we do di differently than, uh, I would say, others, or what we add is, number one, we look at more criteria, which I just mentioned a few. We uh, look at those criteria more uh, in detail. Yeah? So we evaluate uh, in detail and we take different perspectives. Uh, so there are standards which have emerged or let me not say standards um, rating uh, services which have emerged over the recent years such as B0 and Silvera which are mostly looking at only existing projects from a risk perspective but you know we take those data points also into account to get to our uh, overall assessment and by that we make sure that eventually the entire de-risking of, of an investment which companies would need to do on their own, they can essentially uh, get it uh, on the platform. Yeah, so uh, companies would need to hire a team, companies would need to build up a competence, companies would need to uh, spend the time and also the energy to uh, evaluate those projects, which is very hard if you don't have the scale to do it, right? And which when you haven't seen a lot of projects uh, already. Yeah, so that's what we do, uh, looking at three criteria. It sounds like a highly sophisticated but absolutely worth it uh, methodology. Uh, but I'm just curious, uh, since uh, the end goal is to convince companies to buy uh, or inv get involved in your platform, why it's important from their perspective to get involved or choose your uh, highly uh, impactful projects over others that are also impactful but let's say a little bit less focused only on CO2 sequestration, as an example. Why Why is there already this shift in motivation from the company, the corporate side, to go into this high-quality uh, credits? Yeah, I think we, we see two major shifts. The first shift is the shift into quality. Yeah? And in the past, I guess, maybe a step back, we have to know that 
climate change or uh, climate action, let's put it that way, costs a lot of money, right? We have to be very clear about that. And the market is called voluntary carbon market, right? But um, it's moving from beauty to duty anyway, right? Um, and it's driven by... Uh, expectations from capital markets. It's uh, driven by expectations also for private companies and young companies by uh, from investors, right? Who are, uh, you know, be it pre-seed or be it on the way to their IPO, uh, have to make sure that the companies and their portfolio companies are paying attention to that. It's coming from customers. The pressure is coming from the supply chain also, right? Think about scope three, which typically makes up 80% of the emissions. So there's a lot of pressure essentially to take climate action. And um, the scandals of the past, uh, which we have seen, right, where companies have just bought anything, yeah, at least although bought anything at the lowest price, that's, I think, over, right? And uh, one reason for that is a reputational risk. Yeah? We have seen many companies who uh, burned their fingers uh, and number two, um, uh, given the reputational risk, uh, the European taxonomy is asking so much for so much transparency about climate action that you can't just do anything anymore, right? So it has to be um, of uh, quality. So that's number one. And number two, back to your question on why not only climate impact, why social impact and um, nature impact? Um, because it's about, um, I guess, in the space of not to just do anything, right? It's about differentiation also. It's also communication aspect which you have around your climate action, right? And I guess you want to make sure that um, you uh, can tell a story which is uh, holistic, right? And which is not only uh, talking about climate, but where you create ecosystems, right? And where 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 you um, where you where you pay back, where you where you give back, right? And uh, often, and that's what we see, is that companies want to link it to their business activity uh, more concretely, right? So if you are essentially a, a company which is active in, in 100 countries in the world, you want to make sure that uh, you have impact in different ecosystems, right? And if you interact with nature uh, in your value chain, uh, be it, you know, because you are a coffee producer or you are a coffee filter producer or because you are uh, a logistics company which is using uh, waterways. Yeah? So you want to make sure that uh, you understand your ecosystem in which you operate more holistically and, and then also have impact um, on, a, on, a, on a broader, broader scale. I'm, I'm curious, how does it work in, in practical terms? So... Let's say the credits that you that you sell. On one hand, you have carbon uh, CO two uh, sequestration, which is something measurable. On the other hand, do you make a score for the social aspect and then combine the two scores, or just to have a have one number that represents the quality of this credit, or how does it work? Yeah. So um, eventually, we aim to, and that's what we do already, to put the entire impact, the entire risk, and the entire integrity into a number, right? Which is, you know, a scoring across different uh, criteria, and uh, for there's a weighting yeah, between those or across those 170 criteria we are we are looking at, and. When it comes to social, um, I guess what we make sure is that we can uh, show that the income is really distributed to local communities. Yeah? So there must be a mechanism which is also transparently documented from the projects how 
uh, you know, those local communities benefit. Partly it's covered by standards. Yeah? So there's one standard, which is Plan Vivo, which is, you know, always, um, always only approving projects which have a income for local communities. So, you know, the work is already partly uh, done by, by them. If it's not the case, we, we look at it uh, separately. How hard is it to, to actually find such projects that fulfill all three criteria on a high level? Well, that's uh, where we uh, where we say uh, there's our uh, USP, right? Um, to tap into those projects and to scout them and to analyze them and to make them investable easily, right? That's also part of nature as a service that we translate illiquid nat natural capital into liquid financial products in the form of uh, carbon credits. Um, yeah, but that's indeed difficult, right? Um, to find projects which are only scoring high on the climate front um, has been the trend, uh, especially in recent years around avoided deforestation, right? Where you just, you know, preserve the forest and you issue carbon credits and you argue that if you wouldn't have financed that piece of land and the forest, it would have been uh, deforested. And often those projects do not come with a uh, income for local uh, communities. So really having, and often, you know, you, you see those, uh, to give the other opposite, um, there are so many initiatives out there which are around planting trees, 21 million trees, one to one, 25 trillion trees. So it's like you can go on forever, right? But I, I guess there's one saying also from our project partner in Panama who says, go away from planting trees, plant forest. Right, because it doesn't help if you just plant trees and there is not an ec ecosystem which emerges from it. If, you know, if uh, animals don't come back, if uh, you don't make sure it lasts for a long time, because local communities are embedded into this. Right, and uh, so to answer your question, there has been a trend in in putting projects um, uh, and bringing projects to life which do not have an impact on three dimensions. But it's more and more uh, clear that this is not the future and project developers uh, make sure that they also aim for a certification of the social impact and um, uh, yeah, and go for biodiversity. And I guess, you know, it, it gets into the public debate more and more. I don't know if you're, um, to what extent you're familiar with the COP15 summit in Montreal at the moment, which gets much, le much less attention than Sharm el-Sheikh, right, and, and COP27 but which is only concerned about restoring nature yeah, and making sure that uh, the loss of nature um, gets reversed. And um, uh, uh, I could go on, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have I have one more question, which uh, which is very this is very curious, uh, interesting to me. Like a very big part of your core business, the way I understand it, is to evaluate the projects because there there are those certificate issuing bodies that bring some baseline standards, but you build on top of it. Why is it like that? Why those um, uh, certifi certifi uh, companies specialize in certification just didn't develop the, the more sophisticated methods? Or why do you need to do the heavy lifting in, in that case? I assume it's not exactly what the core business is about of, of raising money for this Costa Rican projects. Yeah. It's a very good question, which uh, I should have asked those people also. I'm not <laughs> sure if I know why they're not doing it. Um, but it's indeed true that, you know, those standards are giving a threshold evaluation. So either you make the threshold as a project or, or not, but then they're all equal, right? But um, 
I guess, this rating and this differentiating impact and also making impact, uh, and by the way, risk and integrity also, making it uh, to quantify it, that's probably something which, I mean, often you have to understand those standards are uh, NGOs, right? Uh, they are not they are not for profit and um, they had to start somewhere. I, I can only hip- hypothesize, but it's indeed true that they're not that they're not giving the shades of gray of those project um, uh, quality and, uh, and therefore, you know, the the private market has to solve for it. There are other companies, uh, fantastic companies like like B Zero and Severa, which emerge from this finding, right? That you more on the risk side need to make sure you have a standard and pools and a Moody's for that market, which you know should end up at something around 30 billion market opportunity in eight years only. So we have to make sure that we that we differentiate um, quality uh, and that we also enable companies to uh, compare, right? So if you are a company today, big or small, it doesn't matter, and you want to source a project, it's very difficult. Then you, you, know, you get offers from various brokers, but it's very hard to compare. They're all saying they're of high quality. They're all saying they do a little bit of biodiversity maybe and of that and that but it's very hard to compare right and to say hey why why is this project you know costing 20 euros per ton and why is this project costing only 15 they're claiming the same attributes right so how so and i think that's where we want to go right that we can also quantify uh, attributes project attributes and then enable companies again uh, especially also small ones which just which are the ones which typically cannot outsource the decision fully, but go on platforms like ours to to look for projects that they can really understand like on any other price comparison engine, right? Where uh, the difference lies and what 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 drives drives the price. What we also find very interesting about your offer is this differentiation between dif- different kinds of uh, credits. So you talk about historic emissions, about the future ones, and also the ability to finance projects that will only generate credits in the future. There's obviously some risk attached to it. To be honest, we've spoken with really a few different startups in this space and no one was thinking in that terms. The offset is an, is an offset is an offset. That was the uh, the story behind it. Why do you think it's, it's, it's important? Why do you differentiate it like that? Yeah, so the trend which we see and um, can give you a couple of examples how the big guys are doing it um, is that companies again small and big are moving away from reactive uh, unconscious i would say um, uh, offsetting uh, where you just buy a carbon credit be it from a hydropower plant in china or uh, whatnot so it didn't really matter in the past moving towards proactive uh, long-term climate action uh, so companies and we talk about the drivers in a second, but companies will want to understand what impact they have and they also want to make sure that they hatch the need in carbon compensation certificates, carbon offsets yeah, for the future already today and that they hatch the prices. And that trend is driven by a couple of a couple of things. Number one, uh, the offer in high-quality carbon credits is scarce, especially in, in the space of nature. Prices are, depending on the study you look at, but you know, expected to uh, to explode in the future. Yeah, so going from in, in the nature space from fifteen to probably more around fifty, and even more uh, euros per or dollars per ton. Um, and you have uh, the reputational risk, um, and you 
have regulation again, right? So, and all those, all those, and regulation means you know you, you can't just do anything. You need to understand what you do, and uh, you know that's a trend which has driven large companies like Apple, Unilever, uh, Amazon, um, uh, and a couple of others to. Uh, set up their own funds. Yeah? So those guys are investing 50 to 200 million into funding their own projects, um, into setting up their team, uh, into identifying land uh, and to restore nature yeah? and then to use it essentially for this uh, forward-looking climate action and to obviously also use the carbon credits to uh, compensate whatever emissions they can't reduce from their own uh, value chain, from their own uh, power. Yeah? And what we want to do is we want to enable any company, yeah, be it a startup uh, in Berlin or, or be it a multinational, to take long-term conscious climate action in a uh, easy um, manner. Yeah? So nature as a service, they don't have to buy land and so on and so forth, and um, in a risk diversification um, approach. Yeah? And that means you need to uh, essentially invest into the future. Yeah? You need to invest into carbon credits, which will come onto the market only in one year, in three years, 10 years, in 20 years. It doesn't really matter what time frame you look at. And that you are able to build your carbon compensation portfolio already today. Yeah, and most companies know that they can't reduce all emissions from their own you know, strengths. So they will have a compensation need, obviously always in the order reduce first and then compensate. And we allow companies to really build this need for the future. right? And you know, companies know they have a need, but they don't know how exactly this need will look like, right? So uh, they don't know how the, sh the shape of the curve will look like in terms of how much they need in which year, right? But they could be buying only historic um, emissions that were not emitted, right? Only like historic credits. They could, they could, but that's also a quality claim which companies have that they uh, make sure that in most cases they use offsets which are not older than five years. So if you buy the past, you could, to a certain extent, uh, uh, use it for future offsetting. Indeed, that's true. Um, but that doesn't obviously solve the problem for the landowner um, uh, to get funding for new projects. And that's what we where we really focus on. And you know, those new projects obviously have the uh, also the benefit that they, um, the, you know, that they pay much more attention to quality. And historic emissions are uh, also the high-quality ones, almost non-existent uh, today, or at a at a relatively high price, uh, simply because there has been so much so much demand already. Uh, it sounds like a really complicated problem, complicated to understand, but people are putting a lot of effort to it. But I want to add another layer of uh, complication, <laughs> which is. A <laughs> Why not? Uh, which is the biodiversity, which you've mentioned already. Um, it's I have a feeling that it's a topic that is bringing, uh, coming up uh, more and more often, and I can imagine that uh, sooner or later there will come up some solutions, such as carbon credits, but for the biodiversity. Uh, it's I think it's in inevitable. Yeah. So uh, from your experience, uh, I know uh, firsthand that you're already like a little bit uh, digging into the topic. How could that work in practice? Is there already some um, some thinking put in that way? Some solutions that are already existing or gonna exist? Uh, yeah, uh, I guess the uh, thing for bringing up this topic up, yeah, it has been uh, it's much more under the radar uh, than climate change and uh, CO two. 
Um, the simple answer is uh, through biodiversity credits. Yeah? So similar to carbon credits, you can think about uh, biodiversity credits which value uh, nature, yeah? but in a different uh, aspect. And biodiversity describes um, the uh, number of species which exist, the number of genes and um, the number of ecosystems in a certain uh, surrounding. And um, we have to understand that biodiversity is uh, economically uh, it's not just you know nice to have a few animals uh, and to have a bit of uh, clean water and so on. Yeah, um, it's not a nice to have, right? It's basically uh, in directly or indirectly relevant and um, responsible for half of our GDP. Yeah? And eventually, protecting and restoring biodiversity um, uh, will be uh, in the duty also of companies. Uh, it's one of the six dimensions of the European taxonomy. And to give companies uh, and investors alike the ability to easily transfer capital into restoration and protection is the way which we want to enable through those uh, uh, biodiversity credits, um, which we'll pilot in the second quarter of uh, next year. Right on time. Uh, fingers crossed it's going to work out and you're going to find uh, interest from the investors for the biodiversity, I think. Uh, that's interesting to observe. Definitely, we're going to get back to that topic and maybe have another conversation with some... Uh, I already have like three different questions, but <laughs> something tells me that we don't really have time for that yes. today. <laughs> Jerome, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for sharing the insights. We mostly covered the part of carbon credits and different aspects of quality that are important. Um, what's the baseline today? What's, what are the expectations of, of the buyers? And um, we touched just a bit the topic of uh, biodiversity credits. Uh, many thanks for sharing sharing your knowledge and being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for, for having us. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you want to stay up to date with Impact Startup Scene and hear directly from startup founders and investors, sign up for Ragnarsson Invest newsletter at ragnarsson.com slash ri or click the link in the description.